As has been mentioned, we do have our annual congregational meeting after this service. I won't be making any presentations at that meeting because I'm going to be teaching the Discover class right over here, room W2, as has also been mentioned. If you're a guest this morning, do not attend the congregational meeting. Go out that door and we invite you to come over to the Discover class. It's a 30-minute presentation, what we believe, how to get involved should you choose to do so. But if I was to make a presentation at the congregational meeting, I would say, I would mention that over this past year in 2023, we had 53 additions to Vero Christian Church, and 23 of those were by baptism. So I say, way to go, Team Jesus. We, through our offering, support 12 different missions at home and abroad. Only three of those missions had more baptisms than we did right here through this church. We are accomplishing the Great Commission just like they are. It's part of our mission to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has taught us. And so we say if you're one of those 53 new members, a welcome. We're so glad you're going on the journey with us. Which brings me to our sermon series. Our sermon series is the journey. And we're going on a journey with Jesus through the Gospel of Luke from his birth to his resurrection. Easter Sunday is about 12 weeks from today. And so in our first message, we talked about this is a glorious journey. We talked about that word glory and how it means the character, the character of God. And as we study Jesus' life, the Holy Spirit uses that study as a catalyst to transform us into his glory with ever-increasing glory. But today I want us to see how it is also a tempting journey, a tempting journey. So in Luke chapter 4, after his baptism, before he begins public ministry, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and nights, and he is being tempted the entire time. But we get a record of the three culminating temptations in Luke chapter 4. So I just want to say three things we can learn here. How to resist temptation like Jesus did. And to try and make this a little more memorable, I'm, I've chosen an animal to represent my points. Three points. So the first animal is a pig. And the point is, don't be a pig. Don't be a pig. All right, so Luke chapter 4. The devil said to Jesus, since you are God's son, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus replied, no, the scriptures say man does not live by bread alone. So what's the big deal? What, what would be so wrong after fasting for 40 days of turning a stone into bread and eating? God created bread. God created the body. He knows we need to eat. He's for all of those things. Well, the problem is sort of revealed in Jesus' answer when he says, "Don't man does not live by bread alone. Matthew adds, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So here at the beginning, before he launches his public ministry, Jesus is setting his priorities. And his priorities include feeding his spirit. So one thing Jesus knows is that we are not just physical bodies. We're not just material beings. We have a physical side and we have a spiritual side. And, we, and here's the application. Here's the lesson. We're not to hog all the resources over here for our physical size only take care of this body and neglect our spirit. We have to feed our spirit as well. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was prioritizing the feeding, the nourishment of his spirit. He was doing that through fasting. That's a spiritual discipline, going without food in order to focus on 
a spiritual purpose. He was also doing that through prayer. Prayer and fasting always go together. He was meditating on Scripture. We know that. In each one of these temptations, Jesus answers the devil with Scripture. So primarily Scripture and prayer. So here we're still in January. It's a good time to reemphasize that we want to spend time with God every day feeding our spirit. I'm going to say, how do you feed your spirit? Well, some people, maybe it's a Gregorian chant, or some people, maybe it's hot yoga. But if we're disciples of Jesus, we're following Him, we do what He did. But what are called the spiritual disciplines. To be a disciple of Jesus means to follow the disciplines. So to be in the Word and to be praying. We want to set that priority. That's job one. Number Job two prioritize it in our schedules. Now we'll notice that Jesus, He was doing these things at the very beginning of His ministry. Jesus was victorious over His three-year public ministry. He had public victories. But as Stephen Covey says, private victories precede public victories. We must have private victories in this area of prioritizing the feeding of our spirit, connecting to the Holy Spirit through these spiritual disciplines. So I just want to recommend one or two things that kind of can lead to success in this area. I know a lot of people struggle with being faithful and regular in what we call daily devotional times. If you've got a great routine that works for you, wonderful. If you're crushing it with your daily devotions, Fantastic. But if you're struggling in this area, let me make one or two recommendations or suggestions. Number one, well, we want to read the Bible. We want to read it every day. And I recommend the one-year Bible. So this is a one-year Bible, the New Living Translation up here. This is the one that I use. I actually don't read generally. I don't read, read a book like this. I listen to it with my one-year Bible app on the phone. I listen to it every morning. If you're an auditory learner and you would like that, Just put your phone number down on a connect card and turn it in and I will text you the link to that app, the one that I use, and you can listen to it. Or use a regular one-year Bible like this. And if you don't have one, you'd like one, come on up after the service and grab this one. This is a brand new one. But I I love the one-year Bible. It is a disciplined way to go through the entire Bible in a year to read all of God's Word in one year. Second way I would suggest being successful in this is to do it first. Do it first thing in the morning. You know, as far as feeding our bodies, we don't have to discipline ourselves to do that. I'm looking around, I say most of us, it looks like, are doing a pretty good job of feeding our bodies. Most of us are eating three big meals a day, maybe snacking in between. We do not need an accountability partner who can call us up and say, are you eating today? Oh yeah, no, we don't need that. We don't need to discipline that and set it in our our schedule and make sure we're feeding ourselves. I know there's eating disorders. I'm not making fun of that at all. That's a serious thing. But most, for most of us, we're going to eat. We say, you know what, and the devil's going to come along. How does he distract us? As soon as we say, I'm going to have a daily devotional time, he's going to try to distract us away from that. You've got this person you need to talk to. You've got this. This needs to be done. So he's going to try and distract us. So we have to prioritize it. I recommend doing it first thing in the morning. Again, this is for people, maybe you have your own thing and it works fine, but if not, do it first thing in the morning. Jesus did it the first thing in his ministry. Get up early. Jesus did that. We'll see later on in the record. Jesus got up early while it was still dark, went off to a quiet place. That's another thing. He's in the wilderness. 
in a quiet place. First thing, I guarantee you will get fewer texts, emails, tweets, and phone calls from 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. than you will from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. First thing in the morning. He said, we're going to eat. Maybe if I, we don't have time, I know you're busy, I'm busy. Say, Steve, I'm busier than you. You probably are. A lot of people are busier than me. But you're not busier than Jesus. Jesus was super busy, and he did this. If we're that busy, I know this, we're making time to eat. So maybe we, we eliminate one of those three big meal times, the first one perhaps, and use that time to feed our spirits with the Word of God and prayer. Maybe call it something like, I don't know, fasting? Right, which is another spiritual discipline. So don't be a pig and just feed the body. That's number one. Number two, animal number two, don't be a sloth. That's right. Then the devil took him up, Jesus, he took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms. I'll give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give them all to you if you worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Okay, so... It's as if Satan is coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, we can do this the hard way or we can do this the easy way. Think of your favorite detective show. The detective, he goes, he's got the suspect. He goes to where the suspect is working over there at the garage and pulls him aside. I have some questions to ask you. I'm not going to answer your questions. Oh, we can do this the hard way or we can do this the easy way. You can either answer my questions here. I'm going to haul you down to the precinct and perp walk you. Then you'll answer my questions. Okay, I'll answer your questions. So Satan is saying to Jesus, oh, we can do this the hard way, or we can do this the easy way. So I think Satan knew that Jesus came to establish a kingdom. He came to be the king over a kingdom. But God's way for Jesus to the kingdom went through the cross. It went through the cross. That's a hard way. And Satan says, I can give you a kingdom. I, I have all these kingdoms, and you can have them all. And it's real easy. You just bow down and worship me. You don't have to, it has to be a long worship service. Just bow down and worship me, and I'll give you a kingdom. Jesus said, no, you must worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. What's the temptation here? To be a sloth. To, to play to our inherent laziness. A lot of times we can be like water. We want to take the path of least resistance. And sometimes God's way, it seems awful hard. God's way seems like the hard way. And that's because it is the hard way. Narrow is the gate. Difficult is the road that leads to life. Wide is the gate. Easy is the road that leads to destruction. Satan comes and whispers in our ear, hey, you don't have to go the hard road. There's a lot easier ways to live your life. You in a marriage and there's some incompatibility and friction there, you know, just get, get out of that. Go marry someone who's easier to live with. Read the Bible 
If I hear one more sermon on the one-year Bible, I'm like, ah, you don't need to read the Bible. Just uh, the Holy Spirit will teach you. He's your teacher. Just follow the Holy Spirit. Forget about that Scripture study. Give money to the church. They're always asking for money. You can barely make ends meet. Just, don't, just wait until you win the lottery and your ship comes in. Then you can give something to the church. Go to church. What are you even going to church for? It's your only day off. You're going to spend half of it in that church? Roll over. Hit the snooze button. Go to the beach. You're one of those kind of people that connects with God in the ocean. Go hang ten with Jesus. You know, you don't need organized religion. Take a shortcut. You ever taken a shortcut turned out to be a little bit longer than the normal route? <laughs> I was going from 60. I was going to my house. I live off 5th Street Southwest. I'm going down 43rd Avenue, and I got behind a school bus. Don't you hate to get behind a school bus? So, but I know a shortcut, so I head east on 8th Street, and I go south again on 23rd Avenue. Now I'm not on a school bus, I'm in a school zone. It's like one school zone after another. So I, but I know a shortcut. So I go east on 1st Street, and I go south on 20th Avenue. I'm not behind a bus or in a school zone, but they're doing temporary construction. The road's down to one lane. You got the stop sign, go, stop, stop. It took me 25 minutes to get home. If I'd stayed on 43rd, I would have been home 15 minutes earlier. Dr. Frank Meza, in 2019, ran the Los Angeles Marathon. His time was 2 hours and 53 minutes. That's averaging a 6-minute, 30-second, 37-second mile. That's a 6-minute mile. Scott ran track, cross country. Did you ever run a 6, 637 mile? <laughs> you didn't run 26 strung together? That, that was one minute faster than the world record for his age group, which was 70. His closest competitor was one hour behind him. And you see where I'm going with this. So they go back and it's suspicious. It's suspicious. They check the cameras on the course and sure enough, he had exited the course and come back in a different spot and exited the course, come back in a different spot. You can't do that. That's against the rules. Right? He was cutting the course. So instead of getting all the glory, he, he got the walk of shame. He was disqualified. They went back and looked at some of his other marathons. Same thing. He was cutting the course. We laugh, but you know, a few months later, he committed suicide. Committed suicide from the public disgrace and the shame. He couldn't handle it. You know, there are no... Sh now, you may say, oh, I know get a shortcut, but by and large, there are no shortcuts. And spiritually, there certainly are no shortcuts. We can do this the hard way or we can do this the easy way. But the easy way turns out not to be that easy after all. John Kennedy said in 1962, we're going to the moon in this decade. We're going to the moon in this decade not because it's easy, but because it's hard. And we can do hard things. We can do hard things with God's help. And that's exactly what he's calling us to. The antidote from, to being a sloth is to worship God. Jesus said, you shall not, you should only worship God. Serve Him only. That's the antidote. Because when we worship God, and we do this every day, Monday through Saturday, we have a time, I was just talking about it, we worship God. We bow our knee to Him. We ascribe worth to Him and say, you are my Creator, my Savior, and my Lord and my Master. I'm going 
your way. I deny myself, take up my cross, and follow you. I deny myself, take up my cross, and follow you. We do that every day. And on Sunday, Sunday, the first day of the week, that which differentiates this day is not that we worship. We worship God every day. It's that we come together and worship as a church family. This is our corporate church worship. And we're reaffirming our identity as subjects of King Jesus and only King Jesus. That's resisting the devil. So don't be a pig. Don't be a sloth. Anyone want to try to guess my third animal? Don't even try. You never will. Don't be a lemming. All right, don't be a lemming. A lemming is a Norwegian rodent that is known for succumbing to peer pressure in their herd mentality. They're all heading for the edge of the cliff. The first lemming jumps off the cliff. They all jump off the cliff. You know, when you did something wrong and you were a kid and your mom came, why did you do that? Because everybody else was doing it. Well, if everybody else was jumping off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? Did your mom say that? Yeah. Dads don't say that, but moms do. So the little lemming jumps off the cliff, and he's down, he's down at the bottom of the cliff, bruised and bleeding, and Mama Lemming comes and says, why did you do that? And little lemming says, because all the other lemmings were doing that. And Mama Lemming says, good lemming. Good lemming. <laughs> That's what we do. That's what we lemmings do. Well, so the devil led Jesus to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. A lot of people think that was probably Herod's portico, 450 feet up. Since you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered and said, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So Satan's trying to get him to throw himself down because there's a promise in the Bible the angels will take him like a feather and he'll just float down. That's what God said, so you might as well test it. And Jesus said, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I don't need to test God. Now the full quote from Deuteronomy that Jesus is quoting is, do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massa. As you did at Massa. Well, what's that all about? What happened at Massa? What's the Massa incident? It talks about it three times in the Bible in a negative way. What happened was the Israelites were delivered by God from Egyptian bondage. And they got out there in the wilderness, and they, they went to a camp. They camped at Massa. It was Camp Massa. They were having some trouble finding water. They didn't find water right away. And the Israelites got thirsty. And when they got thirsty, they started whining and bellyaching and complaining to God and about God. Does God really care about us? That's what they said. And that's the way it reads in the Hebrew. That's the tone. Does God really care about us? We're so thirsty. And this really bothered God. Why would this bother God so much? Because these were the very same Israelites that days earlier God had delivered them from slavery with ten miracles. Right? The, the ten plagues, each one designed to humiliate one of the gods, the idols of Egypt. They had walked across the Red Sea on dry ground with walls of water on either side. They were being miraculously led by God through the wilderness with a pillar of cloud in the day, a pillar of fire at night, they had manna in the morning and quail in the afternoon. They get a little bit thirsty at Camp Mass, and they say, does God care about us? That's what it means to test God. Why did they even have to ask that question with all of this evidence? 
Satan wants Jesus to test the promises of God. How old was Jesus at this time? About how old would Jesus have been at this time? 30, around 30. He didn't need to test God. God had been taking care of him and providing for him for 30 years. No need to test God about that. How old are you? I'm 65. I'm 65 this month. On the 31st of January, I turned 65. Just saying. I don't need to, I don't need to test God. God has been taking care of me for 65 years. I look at some of you out there, he's been taking care of you for a lot longer than that. And somebody a little, I mean, some of us a little bit shorter than that. But he's been taking care of us, and that's just physically. We're not even mentioning spiritually, Ephesians chapter 1, where we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have adoption, sonship, redemption, forgiveness of our sins, eternal life, hope of resurrection. That's just the spiritual side. You can't look at the cross and wonder if God cares about us. I have six grandchildren. Tammy and I have six grandchildren. We were the first babysitters for each of our grandchildren. Because they live right here in Vero Beach. So Stephen and Lauren, for instance, they have Carson as their oldest. And after they had Carson, about six months later, they say, hey, we're ready to get a life again. We want to go to a movie. We need a babysitter. We're thinking about you. <laughs> Can you show us some references? <laughs> Can you imagine if they said that? Hey, can you show us some references? References? Yeah, we want any other parents you babysat for so we'll know if you're qualified. Yeah, I've got a reference. Go look in the mirror. I've been taking care of you for decades and paying for you. You turn out okay. No, that would be ridiculous. And it's just as ridiculous when we get a little thirsty, we get a little hungry, we get a little pushback, we get a little difficulty in our lives. And we start grumbling and whining and complaining and bellyaching. God, do you, do you care about me? That's testing God. Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massa. Solomon writes in Proverbs 19.3, People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they are angry at the Lord. Now, some of the stuff that we suffer is no fault of ours. It's things that happen to us because we live in a fallen world or maybe something somebody else did to us. But a lot of what we suffer is self-inflicted wounds. You know, self-inflicted wounds. But we want to get mad at God about that. Megan Rapinoe, world-famous soccer player on the U.S. national team, last year playing in her final game. She's playing, there's nobody else around her, but she takes a wrong turn and tore her Achilles tendon. Career over. Here's what she tweeted out. She said, I'm not a religious person or anything, but if there was a God, like, this is proof that there isn't. She got a lot of responses to that tweet. I like this one from Not the Bee. God doesn't exist because you tripped over nothing and hurt yourself. God doesn't exist because the world doesn't revolve around you. You tripped over nothing, so nothing is all there is. Vikings quarterback, Kirk Cousins. He tore his Achilles tendon last year 
as well. That was in October. In November, he and his son were serving meals, Thanksgiving meals, at a homeless shelter. And he said, we're learning that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Kirk Cousins tweeted out, I thank God that my life is not built on football, but on God. God is sovereign. He allowed it to happen. And I must trust him that he is going to make good out of it. And he's not going to waste it. The antidote to testing God is thanking God. To be, have a grateful and a thankful heart. We can always find reasons to do that. I've named some. We have physical provision. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. You could sit down with me and write out a whole list of things for which to be grateful, and I could do the same for you. We say, you know, I'm just naturally pessimistic and naturally critical and naturally a grumbler. That's right. That's the natural man and the natural woman. And the body says, take that natural man and woman, crucify it. Take off that natural man, put on the new man and the new woman in Christ. In all things, give thanks. I think of Jesus in Matthew chapter 26. It was just hours, hours before his arrest, his trial, his conviction, his scourging, and his crucifixion. And he's having one last meal with his disciples. And the Bible says that he took the bread and said, this is my body. It's about to be broken for you. And he thanked God for it. And he took the cup with the fruit of the vine in it. And he says, you know, this looks like blood. This is my blood of the new covenant. I'm going to die for you. And he held that cup up and he thanked God for it. Think of what that represents. That's the broken body, his shed blood, his very death on a cross, and he's thanking God for it. 